This week's episode is brought to you by Goals. Goals, remember what hockey's supposed to be about? Sackick fakes it, takes it, scores! Joe Sackick! Wow! Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into the Burgundy Radio Podcast for December 18th, 2017. Jesus, when did that happen? Coming up on the show, a few things did happen this week, uh, from the captain nearly going full Forsberg to a likely suspension again. But before we put the whoosh, I have to tell you about our disembodied voices for the week. Back with us again is the managing editor himself, Earl 06. Hi, Earl. Good morning, all. Good what? Morning. <laughs> okay. And with us again is Queen JK. Hey, Jackie. Hello. And the Woosh is with us again. A busy week this week, with which most of them are going to be from here on out. On Monday, Avs win 2-1 over the Pittsburgh Penguins with Jonathan Bernier making 39 saves. Mark Barbario and Blake Como scored for Colorado. Then the next day, Avs fall 5-2 to the Washington Capitals, which was a road back-to-back. But Washington had a back-to-back with travel, too. This was not the highest event game in the world, with only 51 shots on goal total. And the Avs goals went to Tyson Jost and Colin Wilson, uh, Earl's favorite human being. Then, Rah. then on Thursday, the Avs come back home and win 2-1 over the Florida Panthers in a game I wasn't able to watch, but hopefully these two can help explain it a little bit better. Uh, both goals scored by Nathan McKinnon and 32 saves for Simeon Varlamov. Any thoughts to add on that one? Um, you know, it, it it was one of those nights where basically two guys won the game rather than sort of back uh, with the pan- with the uh, Penguins game where it was a real team effort. Um, you know, it was just two fantastic goals for Mac and, and Varley was very good. That's basically what I remember. The especially the second goal McKinnon scored was was pretty special, and yeah. I I honestly can't remember any real nuance about that game so i wish i could help you out more there but i do remember those two goals for mckinnon and that's probably all you really need to know anyway i can't imagine mckinnon scoring ridiculously good goals that's just weird (laughs) it doesn't happen so does anyone want to mention like any story any storylines from these games before we get to that other one yeah i have a couple actually um you'll notice that this the, the scores were uh, were were quite low for the Avs in each one. They only scored two, and that's been a theme actually all month. Where out of nine games, um, they've only scored two, or they, they've scored two or less goals in seven out of nine games. Um, that's not good, Jim. That's not good. And at the end of that Panthers game, they were sitting at a, an 0 for 20 streak on the power play. And that was something we were all talking about for uh, not just those games, but going back to uh, before the whole uh, road trip started is it, the power play just seemed to just be dead on the table. And it was, it was kind of weird because the, the first power play unit, which is, you know, Mac and Miko and Landy and, um, sort of the more veteran guys, the high-scoring top-line type guys, uh, just looked awful when they were standing around and they weren't creating, they weren't getting the defense to move. And then sort of the, the younger unit would come on, power play unit two, and that had Sam Gerrard running it, and that guys like Comfer and, and Kerfoot before he got hurt. And 
um, they seem to have a lot more motion and they, you know, if, if there was new things being introduced to the Avs power play this year, they were probably exhibiting that more than the, the first power play unit. Um, and that, that kind of all ended last night, but, um, you know, it, it, those were two troubling issues that I found over the past month or so is just sort of lack of scoring and the power play really dying. And, you know, if they, if they can't score more than two goals a game, they're, you know, we, we could be getting close to the cliff again. Although well, it's, sometimes they, they score more than twice that and still don't win the game. That's right. And it's, it's McKinnon scoring, which is great. And, and then getting goals from guys like Barbario, I know <coughs> scored this week, um, which is good that, but you know that you're not going to be able to count on scoring from him. It's guys like Andrew Ghetto and and maybe guys like Comfer that you wish could kind of convert more often is where I think they're missing kind of that offense. And part of that could be their setup on the offense with the two lines and then kind of the whatever line and not having a fourth line, which is something we've all kind of noticed. It's like, it's something they're doing now, but is that conducive to consistent offense moving forward? Yeah, it's a tough call. I mean, both Comfer and Soderberg were shooting 2.7% at 5v5 going into last night's game. Um, that's really bad. I mean, <laughs> I mean, twice that is not great. So, um, again, it's just, you know, it, it, it's sort of a worry to add to the basket whether they can sort of get out of the, the non-scoring funk they've been in since kind of mid-November. Do you, do you think it's because of the lines? Or do you think... I mean, I can see where Bedner's coming from that that he's putting McKinnon with the extras, so that's better than putting, say, Bork with a couple guys. But it just seems like it's kind of killing any sort of consistency. It kind of worked. Um, One of Max' goals on Thursday, the Panthers game, um, came when he was out there with uh, with Bork and Jost. So that's great, I guess. Yeah, Max scores with the fourth line as well as with his own line. But um, and then Jost's goal in Washington was with Miko. I know that. Yeah. I I don't know. I'm I really would like to see four lines rolling. You know, I I, <clears throat> I think that um we're we're coming up on a fairly light period in the schedule before it gets absolutely hectic for the rest of the year, except for the bye week. And if they're gonna sort of take a good look and see who's working with each other and who's not, and who they might be able to bring up from San Antonio to maybe make a little bit of a difference. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think they, re- I, I think they really need to figure out a way that they have four real lines and, you know, I, th- hopefully that's going to be something that snaps them out of not being able to score more than two goals in a game. Well, they're able to run four lines. They need to have 12 forwards that they feel like they can play in any NHL game. Yeah. Can, it's, I can't imagine this team struggling to uh, 
to ice 12 forwards. They haven't had any forward depth problems at all, like ever. <laughs> well, it's tough. All right. You know, Yakupov comes into the game last night for the first time um, in, in a couple of weeks because he was sick. And before that, he was kind of benched. And, you know, it's like, uh, you know, he had a pretty good game. You know, he, he had seven shot attempts. He had three shots on goal. He probably could have had a goal or two if he wasn't totally rusty and didn't have his timing. Um, but, you know, we saw the same things that got him benched before. He just wasn't wasn't happening in the D zone for him. And he's not, you know, he can't really carry the puck or anything like that. He's, you know, if he's not about to receive the puck in the offensive zone, there's not a lot you can do with him. And it, it's just, it's, it's tough to have a guy in the lineup like that that you can't really put on a line and send out there every, you know, fourth shift. To me, it seemed like he he was definitely trying to play hard, trying to he skated hard. He he's hard yeah, on. He's the got boards. try hard out the wazoo. Yeah, and that, so that's not his issue. It's just yeah. it's all kind of like wild. It's a little bit over the all over the place like you think his stick's gonna fly and probably hit somebody or you don't know where he's shooting the puck at like it might it might be towards the net but maybe not and it's just like maybe calm down just a little to kind of like focus a little bit better but it is it's it's also tough like if you're trying to break out of the zone and he's like say he's your primary option and you can't really trust that he's going to be there to receive the pass where he's supposed to be that makes it tough on the you know the defenseman or the f3 or whoever's trying to break out you know that that just makes it really difficult or makes it more difficult than it needs to be to break the puck out and and then you see you know a little bit of getting trapped in the zone and you know, it just leads to a lot of bad stuff. And, <clears throat> you know, so I, 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 I love his effort. You know, I love that, that you know, he's real gung-ho and uh, about you know, every shift he takes on the ice. But, you know, he just doesn't help you that much unless the puck's in the offensive zone. So, yeah, he's somebody that I think could play. Like, he, he's somebody that's worth dressing, I guess I should say. But it's like, what do you do with him? And it's like, they still have these questions that they haven't answered through. Now we're several months into the season. It's like, what exactly are you going to do with all of these players? Like, what they have three rookie forwards that they still haven't quite decided what to do with. Then what are you going to do with Yakupov? Then there's still kind of the Andrew Ghetto question. Wilson, some he looks better when they kind of find a place for him, but that hasn't been consistent. Then it's like, if you're ever going to call up Greer, who at this point should re-enter the conversation of coming back to the NHL, how are you going to play him? And it seems like out of all these names that we mentioned are NHL quality. You know, we're not talking about Cleesh and Ben Smith here. You should be able to craft... <laughs> Four NHL lines, but say that name. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I here, think here we are, where Bednar can only play two lines, and whoever he puts on the ice. Yeah, I mean, I think what we've seen over the past week or so is that you know, obviously, the Mac line still works. If they want to keep that together, they might want to think about breaking that up a little bit. Um, <clears throat> I'm not. I I, I don't think that. The Carl line is going to stick together endlessly. I, I think that Matt Nieto spends a lot of time not on that line, and that may increase. 
but you know that's a viable line anyway. And I think that that lately the Wilson comp for Andrigetto line has been pretty good with with Joe sometimes subbing in for Andrigetto. <clears throat> but it you know you need to find something where you can use Kerfoot when he comes back. Um, the the other one of of Jost and and Andrigetto that's not going to be on that line. And then maybe find a, a third guy that can complement those other two. Um, I don't think that's Yak. I mean, it just I like you know I I like the idea of Yak scoring goals for the team, but I just you know I, I he he brings so little besides that. It's just tough to justify dressing him every night. Yeah, it's a tough task. I don't I don't really know the answer either, but I agree. It might be time to kind of break lines up and try to make four lines again but then again this also assumes they want to play 12 forwards which maybe they're not ready to do that either yeah i mean i can see i can see the point where like you know do you want to sit gabriel bork or do you want to sit anton lindholm and you know by and large i'd rather sit bork out of those two um, but that's sort of, you know, that, that's a poor choice to, to put yourself in the position to have to make, you know, you, you, you can, you can probably do better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hobbs in the Hobbs in, in the BR discord has, uh, reached a similar conclusion to mine on what they're going to do with the roster. <laughs> um, be- before we actually get to what they're going to do with the roster, we probably should get into why there's a discussion on what they're about to do with the roster, because they're going to have to do something different. They are. So, uh, finally on Saturday, the Avs played a triple header against the Tampa Bay Lightning, or at least that's how wildly different each period was. First, not super eventful, no scoring, a fair amount of shots, but apart from a couple of rush chances either way, not a lot of danger on them. That period ended in a scoreless draw. Then in the second, Tampa win 4-1, to one, scoring all four goals in four minutes and ten seconds. Gabe Landeskog put one in for the Avs, and a little bit of foreshadowing. Um, also in this period, while the Avs were actively imploding, Eric Johnson had his annual moment of EJ gets mad and does something stupid and reckless. He two-handed slashes Vladimir, isn't it Vladimir Nemestikov? I think it's Vladimir. It might not be. Mr. Vladislav, maybe? Vladislav, maybe? Uh, oh, Bill no. Nemestikov from behind, and then cross-checked him. Dave Nemestikov. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then he cross-checked Dave um, as Nemestikov sort of started kind of making the skate behind the net, which knocked him to the ice at speed, and he goes skidding violently into the boards, which was a 5 and a 10 for EJ. The Avs won the third period 4-2, with Landeskog scoring two of them and completing his second hat-trick of the year and assisting with the other two which Nathan McKinnon scored, um, technically. And sort which, of. And which included, I have to say, what could be a goal of the year candidate for the Avs. Maybe not the whole league, but for this team, for sure. The the one where he kind of comes in one on four and then just goes, oh, and the puck's in the net now. What are you going to do? <laughs> Booyah. Um, I think we also have to preface the EJ incident with what happened just a few seconds before where McKinnon should have had his <clears throat> first goal of the night. And he was about to put it in as it had gone through the goalie. And there was just it was sitting there right on the line, just waiting to be tapped in. And 
Hedman knocks the stick out of his hands with the ref just say, looking on saying, wow, <laughs> that sucks for you, dude, and not calling it. Um, and so I, that was that was a very frustrating moment. Obviously, Mac was very frustrated at that point. I, I you know, I, I would say that probably the whole team was. <clears throat> and that sort of made the red mist that much redder for EJ before he had his little incident. Yeah, and then uh, Hedman kind of cleared the puck out of the crease with his hand, which confused people. That was legal. He didn't close his hand on the puck, so it was fine. Yeah, you can um, do that. And then I don't, I'm don't. i not sure which which team's feed interviewed Hedman at intermission, but apparently he was like, yeah, I thought it was a penalty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Nice. It was an altitude, but that's great. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a wild and crazy end to a wild and crazy game, and that doesn't even include us asking my first question, why did Bernier start this game? <laughs> you know, I think we've been trying to figure that out for probably the last... 24 hours and there's no real great answer for that because Varley had a really good game against Florida and there was a day off so it wasn't a rest issue and there's another day off on Sunday before the Penguins game so it's not it wasn't a rest kind of thing and Varley had just come off a good game and usually you want to ride the momentum of a goalie that has it and if you were going to start Bernier, it would be, be one of these two games. You would maybe start him against Pittsburgh because he we almost shut out a week ago. Yeah, right. Because he was That's the what one I would have done <laughs> <laughs> that played well against them. I I don't know because they got wind that Budai was going to play for the Lightning. They just wanted to go with their backup too. It's I don't know. It, it doesn't make sense. If it's not rest, and if it's not kind of like giving Bernier a shot because he's the one playing well, then what's really the thinking there? Yeah, I mean, I, the only thing you can come up with is, uh, you know, it's sort of like a, an oh, screw it, we're going to lose anyway, and let's just put Burns in there and, and go for it on Monday with, against the Penguins with Varley. <clears throat> um, I, you know, I was really baffled at this decision because, I mean, the the game in Tampa, I mean, the Avs, you know, they obviously they you know they weren't real close in that game, but they played a good game and they they played Tampa hard and and they they could obviously keep up with them and everything but skill. So I I think this game is probably the more winnable of the two if you're talking between Tampa and Pittsburgh. And it's just it's just baffling that you would put Bernier in for this one when Varley's fully rested and could have played easily. Yeah, and I don't think they're getting into the whole conceding thing yet. I think they really are trying yeah, to think... win every every game possible and and Yeah, they definitely just... are. So this kind of workload for Varley, if you're just looking at this week, isn't too much. Like it it seems like he could have been able to play you know, the four or five consecutive games. And it, I, I guess for me especially is because he came off a good game against Florida. Like, it was maybe one of those kind of, ah, he was okay, but, you know. But he was the first star in that Florida game. I would have given it to McKinnon, but still, he, he was really good. And, and why wouldn't you want to ride the momentum and see if you can get him going? 
Yeah, it's 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 really baffling, and, and this is the second time that I've said this. But when when the starter's name has come out, and the the other game was the one in Dallas where Bernier got torched, and you know, I, again, it's I, the points really don't matter that much to me. But it's just it it's 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 weird that you would make a decision like this, and the it's points just don't I, matter. You're right. Yeah. And, and but it just if you, if you're looking tactically at it, I you know what is the thinking here? It's the thinking is can't even be that you're that whether the points matter or not because when you look at the two goaltenders this year they're statistically almost the same. Yeah. Coming into the game yesterday against uh, against Tampa, Varley's save percentage was nine oh six and Bernier's was nine hundred. Like so, I think that that gets even back more to what I'm saying. I mean, right? So you have two guys playing mediocre for the season. So after Varley puts in a above average performance why would you not want to say okay let's do everything we can to see if we can keep that going it's just well, a Steph, philosophy are I don't you, understand. Are, well steph are you making the point that there 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 isn't a number one that they're just you know they're they're both you know it's a tandem now i'm open to that point but that's not the point i'm trying to make yeah. The, the point I'm trying to make is just WTF. Because, I mean, it, Varlamov is this team's starter. That's I don't think that's ever been in question. And yeah. it, sh- it shouldn't be in question because at no point has Bernier played himself into the starter role. But you, I think you, other why than would you when, not play your starter in this game? I think yeah. other than when Varley was sick, I think when Bernier won those couple games, I don't know exactly what his save percentage was during that little stretch, but... Just from the eye test, he kind of was on a little bit of a roll there. But yeah, I'm I'm open to the idea it could be in tandem. But once you have a goalie that finally has put in a good performance, I think they should ride it regardless of who, who, whose game it was. So, um, and especially Varley because he is your starter. So I guess that's what what I'm getting at is why would you undermine your starter having a good performance? And you definitely want to reward that. Yeah. And to take that a step further, I I don't think you know you're I I don't think it matters how good your backup plays. You don't sit there and say like, oh well, you know, Bernie had a really good game the other day. Maybe we should play him instead. I mean the 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 fact that your backup played a good game should not come into your decision. It's like it, this was a game your starter should have made. Yep. Um, right, and especially after he played well. Yeah. Even if how he played was relevant, then then yes. But ultimately, yeah, the the Avalanche goaltending has been pretty problematic in the last two weeks. Colorado have given up the following goals against in order seven, four. Five, three, one, not bad. Five, and then one again, not bad. And now six. And people want to say that Calvin was terrible. I mean, it was probably, well, I mean, you know, of course on that team, there was a lot more issue than him. But, you know, I know that the argument of the save percentage is coming up and they're not playing league average and it's a problem. I still don't feel like watching the games, it's been where it's like, 
okay, this goalie just lost us this game. Like, there's not the first five minutes softy or kind of the the last five minutes. I'll argue so, the second and third goals yesterday were softies. It should have well, never happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the four minute meltdown was was a thing of itself yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean. <clears throat> I mean, I there, there were a lot of, there was so much bad in that that you can spread it around. But, you know, the second and third goals to me were really awful on the goalie. Yeah, well, that was not Bernier's finest, that's for sure. I'm just nope. talking more in general. Like, I don't ever, I, I can't think of a game that I really came out of feeling like, wow, goaltending let us down. And I guess... Maybe that's because the team itself isn't league average. So having that below league average goaltending around them doesn't feel like it's undermining the team. Maybe if the rest of them were ready to kind of take another step, then you could say like the goaltending's been letting him down. I guess what I'm just trying to say is like from a team standpoint, like I wouldn't pinpoint and say that's the reason why they're losing games. And we don't want them to win games just because of goaltending and standing on on their heads. Like we want the team to kind of take that step forward and to earn it, I guess you could say. But obviously a goaltender is part of the team and you do want the goalie to to steal one or two here and there. But when we're in this point of like well points don't really matter, nobody really wants a game where Farley stands on his head and they win. Sure. Well, I mean, that's what he did against Florida. Well, it was... any game you win where you score less than three goals, your your goaltender stealing it for you. But yeah. it wasn't like they were under siege that game. You know, it wasn't like one of those. You just laugh that they even got a point out of that game. Yeah, you know, but I mean, this is this is where why the percentages are important because I would argue that it's 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 more insidious than like the oh well that, that was an absolute howler and now the odds lose by one goal well there's why it's it's more <laughs> like they there, a lot of goals do happen where you you look at at the shot you look at what happened to the shot and you're thinking eh i mean that, that's not really on the goaltender but eventually at, at some point you've got to make a save right yeah. yeah that's that's what you're paid for but yeah i guess that's what i'm saying is if you look at the goal and you kind of put it on the defense or whoever had the turnover and you kind of put it on the goalie and and you kind of, yeah, you say it's, it's one or the other. I mean, I, I, I mean, guess what, what he, I'm saying. He, he, he let in six goals on, what, like 25 shots last night? I mean, that's tough. Well, yeah, I guess I'm not talking about Bernier as much as I'm talking about Varley. Like, yeah. we know Bernier's backup quality you know that that's what you get when you st- when you start your backup you know you hope for a good game but sometimes that's what you get bernier's not paid like a backup though and uh nope. <laughs> and when he came into the beginning of the year i was expecting and hopeful that he would push on on varley to to you know drive them both to have a little bit more going on, but instead he's had a little bit of a Red O'Bara streak to him where instead uh, he's just such an aggressive goaltender and sometimes that really helps him and other times that means that half the net's wide open goal number three. Yep. (laughs) Oh boy. If you get removed from your shorts by Victor Hedman, (laughs) it's hard for me to believe that's Victor Hedman's fault. Yeah. 
I mean, he's a good goal scorer and everything, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but he's a defenseman. I mean, I would expect Stamkos to do something like that, but you know, because he made that move from like twenty feet out, and then was like, "Oh wow, that's the entire net shot score." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's just you know, it's it's I, I. I, I just, you know, I, I find that both the Dallas start and last night's start were baffling. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I just don't, I don't see the justification of it. And I don't know how it helps the team. You know, I, I, I think it's perfectly possible that what happened last night would have happened no matter who was in the net. But sure. if you lose a game like that, you want it to be, you know, if you lose a, a goaltending game like that, you want to say like, all right, we put our starter in and you know, it's like a lot of funky stuff happen and that's just the way it falls. But you put the backup in, in in a night like that and you're just like, what are we doing here? Right. Like, especially the way they came back, would it have been a five, five game and not a six, five game? I don't, I mean, I don't think you can say that because like, you know, pretend Varley saves two out of those four goals in the middle of the second period. It's a, it's just a, such a different game. I don't think the score effect mania happens in the third. Yeah. yeah. So maybe we can thank Bernier for an incredible third period because his bad two bad goals made it such that Tampa just sort of bend but didn't break. I guess the other question is if they felt like they needed to start Bernier in this stretch, then do they feel like Varley can start like five games in a row? Like I'm looking at these games before Christmas, before they have that three day break. So the two, the, th- the three games upcoming this week, the Tampa game and then the game he played against Florida, did they feel like Varley cannot start those five games in a row? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's basically what we're, you know, we need to, to figure out is, is whether this is sort of health related or maybe mental health related as far as, you know, he can't focus for three games in, in a row like that or whatever. Um, you know, if this is just a coach's decision, if it's like, you know, cause the, the day before he said, yeah, well, we're, we're going to play Bernie. He had a great game in, in Pittsburgh and we're going to go with him again. I mean, that's just bushwah. Man, if, if right. you're to assume that 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 your starting goaltender can't play five games in a row, then and none of them back to back, we got an issue. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something so, rotten in the state of Denver. So, yeah. um, let's let's abandon that deep dive. I think we've been on that topic for a long ass time let's deep dive into something else the ej suspension did get announced right before we started recording this show despite me saying likely suspension in the in the in the intro run um it's still likely it, it's yes 100 likely uh, he'll he'll miss two games he'll be back in time for the arizona home and home thank god yeah if they lose to Ariz- losing to buffalo is bad enough if they lose to arizona i'm going on strike yeah we've got we've got to help them be worse than we were last year so you know, I- they, they've got a shot at it and we need to help them as much as possible so how do y'all feel about the two games i think it's excessive <sighs> i think one game would have been fine since they tossed them out of last night's game um i you know i didn't think i i really didn't think that 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 hit was that bad 
Um, that's something that happens quite often in the league and doesn't get suspended or sometimes you don't even get a penalty call on it. Um, but I, I think it should have been probably a double minor at the time, but you know, that's with perfect hindsight. I think the embellishment worked enough that the refs had to call the major, but the, the misconduct was out of line and total overreaction. Um, and it put the league in, in a place where they kind of had to suspend him for some period of time. And suspending a guy, a guy for one game is, is I don't know, doesn't happen that much. Usually when they suspend you, it's two games or more. I, I was surprised at the Landy suspension, so this one surprises me too. Um, I agree. It's a play that... Happens a lot. Doesn't get suspended a lot. We, we saw it earlier this year with Jost, the way he was thrown into the boards. Um, we just saw it last week with Landy was boarded. Um, but I know it doesn't, you know, comparisons don't matter and you have to look at the, the incident on its own. I do feel like EJ gave him a shove, but it was from pretty far out. And that's usually kind of one reason they use to not suspend or penalize guys is if it was pretty far from the boards that it, that the push happened and and Nemesikov just had the the momentum and and that I think optically it looked worse than it was and he apparently and he was fine yeah <laughs> and you know at this point I the, the whole question is you know, is this an abs thing? Is it they that nobody in cares about the abs? You know, the media, the league, nobody, nobody's going to worry too much about the abs getting on the wrong side of some of these calls. And especially after how we talked about earlier was the the non call on McKinnon, who would, should have certainly been a goal, and then this happens, and it's just like. Two suspensions in in the matter of, of a month for a team that I feel like doesn't even play all that physical, which is kind of mind blowing to me. And but I guess you could say they play more stupid than hard, and this is what happens. Yeah, I just I don't know. I mean, was that really worth two games? I it's. I say no, it, but, you know, it, it is what it is. As they say, if if they felt like the shove was worth two games, he did shove him, I guess. So they will just have to move on. What it leads you to wonder is, you know, how is Av's management dealing with this behind the scenes? Um. And, you know, I, I don't know that there's something they could do to lessen these suspensions or or even cause DOPS not to look at them as closely. Um, it's obvious, you know, like when Patrick Kane does the exact same thing that Landy does two games later and doesn't even get a call, you know, that, that leads you to think that <clears throat> there are things that the Blackhawks do or have done for the league that, cause them to be treated differently and it's it just leaves a terrible taste in your mouth as a as a fan of a team that doesn't get treatment like that i would Hawks say that two things that the avalanche don't and one of them is win <laughs> hockey games and the other one is bring the nhl money 
Yeah. I find it completely yeah. surprising that a team as irrelevant as the Colorado Avalanche, don't fucking at me, would get the book thrown at them and made an example of, because it doesn't have that much of a of an impact on the overall hockey fan base, and it doesn't have much of an impact on the playoff picture. The, if there's anything that the National Hockey League hates to do, it's to make an official decision that changes a game. They hate to make a penalty call because what if you score on the power play in the playoffs? They hate to... Yeah. Suspend a star player because it could have playoff implications. I mean, that that's what it comes down to for me is, yeah, this was, I think this was definitely a dangerous and reckless play. And I think the NHL would like hits like this kind of out of the game because you can really hurt somebody like that. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty ambivalent towards the two games. But w- when you look at that hit versus McQuaid on Jost, when you look at Landeskog versus what Patrick Kane did later that week, I, I I think you see a, a lesser team on the totem pole in a couple of different dimensions just getting made example of. And it's kind of frustrating to uh, to see the double standard around the league, but that doesn't make this suspension wrong. I mean, it makes the other ones wrong. And that's that's how I look at it. I think I think two games is fine. I'm not that worried about it. I, I wish other hits got the same sort of treatment. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I guess in a vacuum, though, do I think that's a two-game suspendable hit? I'd still say no. But, yeah, I mean, I agree with what you're saying, is if if they want to make an example, then use the abs as the example. But nobody even knows who Eric Johnson is, and nobody even watches the abs games, so they're not even going to know. I mean, it's that's the thing. Like, if you're making an example of the abs, that's, that's not the way to go about it. Like, if you want to make an example out of someone... So it's a, such that you're showing that this is unacceptable behavior. Then suspend the Patrick Kane. Well, I mean, not, you know, maybe let's not go that far. <laughs> <laughs> that would get people's attention, though. If you right. want to make cross checks, get the point across about cross checks, that's the guy you should be suspending. Yeah, but we know that's never going to happen. <laughs> but, I mean, you could pick a more visible team to show that you care about stuff like this Um, Uh, well the hit was in a game against hands down the best team in the league right now and in a game that saw 11 goals scored i mean that that game was going to get attention yeah um I, i think the whole another overall gets into this is is it time for the avs like you mentioned management to say we're finally going to say something like to understand we might get fined and it's it's time to say something like i know people are waiting for bednar to lose his mind and have a moment i know because i i just think he's not that kind of person first of all not that kind of coach yeah and but this is what people want they want him to to lose his mind and to say like okay we've had enough you like a guy like him probably has that card to play once or to do it and to say, you know, I'm the cool guy, calm and collected all the time, but this one time I'm so mad, I'm gonna lose it. And I think that's what fans want to see. I don't necessarily agree, but it's getting to the point where somebody wants everyone wants to see somebody in the organization say something about it. 
Well, I think that that person has to be Joe Sackick because first of all, he can say a lot of things that Joe, that Jared Bednar can't and get away with it because he's a Hall of Famer. He's respected by just about everyone that's ever met him. Um, you know, I, I think this would be. I know Joe would, would, you know, he never talks about anything to the media, but um, this might be a, a time for him to, I don't know, I guess obliquely mention that this might not be the fairest treatment that the league could have possibly doled out in, in both these situations with Johnson and Landeskog. Um, I, yeah, I agree. It's, it's time to come from someone. Yeah, and it's just, you know, Joe Sackett carries the weight and it, there's not much the league is going to say because, you know, the, you really you can't mess with Joe Sackick. Um, but it just I, I think the time has come where, you know, it, I think there's there's a perception that the abs get screwed by officials and stuff like that. That's that's not right. But I, I think that, you know, it, it's <clears throat> these two cases here. Um, when when you see cases that are similar not get the treatment that the Avs do here, it's it's it, you can make a really good case on paper and with video that this is you know this is unfair treatment and you know if if someone high up in the organization says something about it then you know maybe the league will take notice and, and you know maybe go a little bit easier next time it happens. And the, the McKinnon non-call on that too. I mean, that I'd want to know. I want an explanation on that. And, and uh, also, I going, mean, that's just a ref blowing a call. Yeah. And it, <laughs> but it goes back. It goes back to earlier in the year when something happened where the act, the league actually had to have a statement that they were wrong. Like, when does that ever happen? You know, if if Colorado hadn't already had and blown like multiple power plays in this game, I think that gets called. Yeah, um, they they uh, you're not you shouldn't you're not supposed to you should call the the game as it's played. But uh, officials have an idea in their head of when they've called way more penalties on one team than the other, and because they don't want to look biased, they're not going to continue to call penalties on the team they've called all the penalties on. Yeah, and if it doesn't hurt somebody, unless it's the rampage. Nah, well then you're not in the NHL anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. I, under- I understand that if you get three power plays in a row, you're probably not getting the next one. But a sure goal that's, that basically didn't happen because, because of the, the slash, I, that's... Uh, but, I mean, it's like, there, there's, no, like there's, there's nothing that can be done about that. <clears throat> um, and, I mean, yeah, that's a problem. And I, I, that's where people think that Jared, Jared Ben are going bananas would help that somehow in the future. And I disagree with that. Well, um, yeah, I don't think that's the time to pull that card. I, like I said, I think he gets yeah. to have like one tantrum and that wouldn't be mine. I'm sure something way more egregious is going to happen, but you know, no, but I, I mean, I think the the real issue here is unfair treatment by the DOPS. And that that's something that, you know that that affects more than just an an in-game call like that. Like, um, you know, it would have been nice if Mac had that goal and it would have changed the course of the game for sure. But you know, that's just one game. When when the DOPS is you know taking Landy out for four games, taking EJ out for two games, you know that that's affecting large chunks of the season. And 
if you can make some sort of you know, if if you can do something that changes that, like say Landy's suspension had been two games and EJ, EJ's had been one because of something that they did along these lines earlier in, in the year or perhaps last year or over the summer or something, you know, that, 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 that could really affect some games um, and do a lot more for the team than, you know, just being upset over one goal call. It's just very frustrating. Uh, I know it's extremely frustrating. But what's also yeah. frustrating to me is that was an 11-goal game that was 4-1 and almost saw a comeback on the back of a five-point performance. And what are we talking about? The goddamn officials. Yeah. NHL, get out of your own way. Yeah. Uh, Nathan McKinnon is now tied for ninth in the league with 38 points, which is very relevant. And he has way less than 38 games, too. Um, six games less than that, I believe. That's still a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so he's on uh, something like a 90-point pace, which I will allow. Yeah. I'm not gonna yeah, he's been incredible. I'm not going to get mad at him. He really has. He's found another level, and he's probably not going to score at that pace, but... The... I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that, that's true too. It's, it's not he has like the his, talent. Yeah, and it's it's not like his percentages are super high. It's not like he's scoring a bunch of goals that are like off of three legs and up off the jumbotron, nothing but net. But I mean, apart from his goal that he didn't score last night, that was the what's more surprising. Off. What's more surprising to you too, the way the McKinnon is scoring or the way that Landeskog is scoring this year? Um, hmm. well, Landis is doing it more in bunches, but but he's definitely more productive than he's been in years, and and that's something you know a lot of people were like, "Well, he's Dustin Brown 2.0," you know, and I, I think it's very impressive that he's sort of come back and sort of become the guy that we thought he was going to be back when he was drafted. Um, rather than sort of the grinder that's always injured and, and you know maybe the more of the defensive guy. Yeah, I'm going to say been the past Skog. couple of years. I'm going to say yeah. Landeskog too. Let, let me explain why it's sort it's similar but different. Um, Nathan McKinnon, we we always expected this sort of talent to come out of Nathan McKinnon, whether it would actually happen or not. I mean, you never really know for sure, but we expected and hoped that he would be able to pull off plays and performances like this. Um, but what he's, what he does is temporarily dominant. Um, but what he hasn't done as consistently as, as Landeskog is just completely take a game over and say, no, this is not how we're playing. This is how we're playing. And that's where I, I mentioned at the very top that Landeskog almost went full Forsberg. Cause that was a game where Colorado were trailing by a lot and Landeskog said, Jump on. I got this. Yeah. And, yeah, McKinnon scores in bunches, too. But it, it goes beyond just scoring. Oh, yeah. I always mention how Landy will come out in certain games and really set a physical tone. And they all kind of follow him. Like, if he goes out and he throws a couple big hits early, then they all kind of play that way. And it, it lasts for, like, a period or even longer. 
things like that. So I definitely agree that that he's able to kind of change the tide of more than just because I, I see what you're saying. Like McKinnon kind of when he gets going like that, he's it's him doing it. When Landy gets going like that, it gets everyone kind of doing it like that. And I think maybe that's part of the inconsistency that people see because people complain a lot about Landeskog and kind of that he can't do that every game, which I think is very difficult to do that every single game because you can't play that emotional card all the time. You have yeah. to get you have to get the team going in an emotional way only only when you can push that button and then they have to find they have to find it themselves in the other games to be more consistent but but yeah i totally agree that landeskog has kind of he's done that more this year where he really gets them going yeah, it's it's a very lead by example kind of thing. I mean, it's like Matt can't really lead by example because what he does, it's like three or four humans can do on the entire earth. You know, it's like, you know, if you're Matt Nieto, you can't look at what Nathan McKinnon is doing and be like, well, I'm going to do that next shift. You betcha. Um, no, you sit there so and you it's go, like, holy shit. <laughs> exactly. So it's like... When when the other guys on the bench see what what Landeskog does as far as just being physical and and you know his goals he, he scores some very nice goals but he also grinds some out too and when guys see that they're just like all right you know it's like I can do that I you know I can contribute like that and this is inspiring me yeah so yeah I think you're right it just you know it's easier for Landy to put the team on his back because you know what 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 Mac does you're just in awe of I think even Bender said it today about how when Landy gets more in back to that po- power forward identity and maybe doesn't try to be the skill guy, which he has skill. I mean, he's doing a lot more than, than just grinding the goals out, but kind of like that skilled power forward where he, he's not trying, you know, shoot top corner and all these things where he's, he is kind of using his physical attributes more and, and playing that way, and I think that's helping him as well. Yeah, none yeah. of this is a takeaway from Landis Gog's skill. I mean, two of those goals he scored last night were extremely intentional and extremely difficult redirections. Like, there's not that many people out there who have the kind of hand-eye coordination to, while ice skating, just kind of casually change a puck's direction like 30 degrees to where it goes in the net. Like, Yeah, yeah and I think that's where maybe people have a trouble with the perception of him because he is skilled he has a little bit of that grinder a little bit of that power forward and the defensive element and he put it all together and that's Landeskog but if you try to just analyze the skill and when people say he should score 30 goals every year and you're kind of like well maybe not you know you're not yeah. seeing the full picture yeah because but I mean even if you're not someone who can just bat in a puck at will like that you can still put yourself in the in the position to help give yourself a chance to do it because sometimes that's going to happen by accident. Yeah, I mean David Kochi scored off his butt cheeks. It happened. <laughs> and if and if you see a guy on your team just jump in front of the in front of the goaltender and deflect one home, you're thinking, okay, that's how we're going to beat this guy. And now you can go do it too. 
And that's not something that ever happened last season. I mean, even if one player did perform really well, nobody was ready to just jump on their back. And even dating back before that, it was still individual players trying to win games on their own. But this, what, what Landis Gog has been able to do this season to, is absolutely changing games. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad to see it. I mean, yeah. two hat tricks in a month <laughs> for a team that went, <laughs> what, five years without a hat trick? Yeah, it's not bad. Two, yeah. ha- two hat tricks <laughs> Within a month from the same person, and when it just happened when when it happened last night. It was just like, wow, that was that was a hat trick. <laughs> like, usually, it's like the game of the year when somebody gets a hat trick. Now it's just like, oh, Landis Scott got another hat trick. Well, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I think one of the best things for fans is you know again, the perception was coming into this year that he had a couple. He had a couple of pretty lean, grindy years where he had to be F three all the time, and and you know really be the the responsible party on on his line, and that's not exactly the case this year. And he's he's allowed a lot more freedom to use his skill, and and that shows us that it's still there, and we don't have to worry about him becoming another Dustin Brown, right? And then as much as we want to talk about some of these, you know, top tier avalanche players, I know that that both of you wanted to make sure we take some time out to pay attention to what Tyson Jost has done over the last few games. So let's, let's hit to that too, before we move on to some more official business. Well, the points are nice, obviously getting a goal and an assist this week, I think helps just, you know, you, you need numbers at some point. So it's good that he has that. And even though the goal was in garbage time, you know, it was, it was a skilled goal. And it, it really showed, like, hey, this guy is going to be able to score this way in the NHL. And I just think he's just been becoming more and more involved in the play. I think he's, he's kind of got that tenaciousness. And he's, he's able to cause turnovers and, t- and takeaways and things like that. And you're starting to see more and more of that. So I've always felt like, you know, he, he's going to be okay. So maybe I was more on the positive side of Jost, but so maybe I'm looking for the good in him, but I do think he's been noticeable and it's going to come soon where he is going to make a difference in games. Yeah. I've, I've never really been worried about his offensive production and I just, you know, I, I knew that was going to come sooner or later. He's, you know, he's 19. It's, it's going to take a while for him to adjust to the speed and the size of everybody in the in the NHL. <clears throat> um, I, I still worry about his positioning and his board play in the defensive zone, and there there are signs that's getting a little bit better. Um, but I, you know, that, I think that's the key for him. I think once once the staff is comfortable enough with his defensive play, um, he's going to get the minutes that he needs to really grow offensively. Um, I I think it's just, that's the hump he has to get over right now is being able to, to play a regular shift against tougher competition um, before he gets, um, you know, before he's going to be able to break out. Um, and I, and I, I think that's going to happen within the next couple of months. I think some of it's just his age. Like it, he definitely has the want to on the boards. He's just not quite yeah. able to do. I think what he wants to do, like someone like Gerard has 
has a better idea of what he can and can't do on the boards and has a, adapted. And I think Joe still is trying to maybe kind of do what he wants to do and needs needs to kind of adjust a little bit more of like, you know, for his age and his his physical maturity level and things like that to where, you know, to make it work for him at this point. Yeah, I don't. I I don't think it's it, it's as much about his physical size or strength as a lot of people are, are making it out to be. Um, I, I think playing physical like that in the defensive zone and just being in position all at the right time is a skill, and um, it's it's a different skill than it would take to play that way in college or juniors. And it's just it's you know it's it's a difficult skill to learn. And that's just what what rookies in the league have to adapt to. Um, but I, you know, I think he can. He's a very smart player, so I, I, don't, I don't think there's any reason to think that that he's going to be totally hopeless in the defensive zone like Miko all the time. You know? Yeah, that that's another question <laughs> itself is is the Miko topic. But Joe Steven threw a couple big hits too, which maybe people wouldn't expect. Yeah, so. I, I mean, I again, I I don't think his. You know his physical size and strength are are hampering his, him as much as as people think it is. I mean, I I think he's okay there. I just I think it's it's knowing where to be and and how to play in each situation that that's sort of the the block right now. And um, you know I, that can be learned, and it's not something like he has to you know drink power shakes and, and lift all day to to get over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think playing consistently is helping him too. I think yeah. you're starting to see kind of a trajectory with him. And I know people were worried that he probably is in the NHL a little too early, but it's just kind of like it's not black and white where it's like it's too early and you're not going to get anything out of it and it's going to stunt your development. You know, I think it's more maybe it's a little early for him but he can work through it and he's going to get something out of it and and he's working his way towards something yeah it's like you you got to get beat in those situations to figure out how people are going to beat you um and that's just that's 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 kind of a, a bunch of the things that we see because he's you know he he is given a role that's you know more two way than you would think for a young player and you know, there are guys in this league that are really good and they're going to do things that you've never seen before if you're his age. And that's just, you know, it's just, it's the, the ticket of admission. You, you, you've got to learn what those guys are going to do in those situations. And it'll be nice when they can put them on a consistent line. I think that might be the next step. Someday. Well, someday half of the Ivy line won't be injured. <laughs> Some someday AJ Greer won't be banished to San Antonio. Someday uh, Nikita Zadorov will have a really fine outing against the Lightning and lead the team in ice time. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to eat some words that I I spewed forth maybe a month month and a half ago. Um. He's been really good lately, and last night he he led the team in five v five ice time, and he was second in the in the third period only to bury who they needed to score. Um, he's been given a lot of responsibility 
sort of game by game, it's been growing over the past few weeks, and you know, he's, it seems like he's finally able to handle it. And I, I really have been impressed with the way he's grown over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, it's it's definitely encouraging, and his ice time is going up and things like that. I just wish it wasn't because he's essentially sharing the pairing with EJ, with Gerard, and I... You know, you wish you could you could be happy for success, and you are, but you just wish that it was part of a kind of an actual plan with the defense and not this whole seven defensemen kind of like jumble because when they stop doing that, they're still going to have to figure out like where everyone's going to slot. Like, you know, if, if they keep Z with EJ, that's great, but you know what I mean? It's like they're kind of using two young guys that need development that they see high potential in, in the same spot. And then they have Nemeth with Barry. Like to me, it's just, it's great that it's working for now, but I, I just, I don't like the whole, the whole mess of it. It does seem that using seven defensemen is, it, it seems like it's kind of deferring a decision they should probably make sooner rather than later. Uh, and I'm not sure what decision that is or, or which way they should go with it, but it just seems like it did, It makes it easier for them to not really commit to one way of doing things when they have seven guys to give ice time to, or, you know, like last night, Lindholm had the awful play on the first goal, and they really didn't play much after that. You know, it's like, okay. Right. Well, just right. not play much, and then EJ goes out, and then they just play five guys for the rest of the game. Right, like is the only place and only one guy at a time can progress playing next to EJ. Like that's what it seems like. Like Zadorov's progress has taken away from Gerard's progress. It shouldn't be like that. We want both of them to progress, I think. I don't mind it that much because I, I think EJ is like two different... He's basically two different defensemen. He plays so much. There are times when it's good that he's with Zadorov, and there's times when it's good that he's with Gerard. Um, <clears throat> you know, that's that's also kind of a crutch, but it's you know that that just seems to be the way it's going to be this year. So, the I mean, what what really needs to happen more is is where do they find time for Sam outside of playing EJ in a way that's going to make Sam better and help the team. Right, and they they seem to have not gone there yet right it's and you know it, he's yeah i agree with jared bednar when he said the other day that that the gerard's been a little up and down over the past couple of weeks um it, it's you know they they need to find a way that they can use him um in in a fairly high minute role i think he should probably be you know probably fourth in minutes on the team when you know, at the end of the year, when we're talking like the last 20, 30 games, but how they get from where we are now to there, it's not really clear. Well, I, I think, I mean, I, it probably was a little unrealistic to think Gerard's just going to play 22 minutes next to EJ for. Would have been nice rest, though, right? Rest of the season, <laughs> right. But then when you take him down to 12 minutes, I just, you know, I, under, I, I can agree with easing him back. But, like, easing him back to 12 minutes is not easing him back. And no. then That's it modeling. also... 
it also had to do with Nemeth coming back. Like, if if that happened on its own, would be like, okay, I understand, you know, Gerard needs to play a bit less. But when it happened, literally, the, the game that Nemeth comes back, and they run the 7D, and now Gerard's playing 12 minutes, it's like, there's no plan here. Like, it's more an excuse than than deciding what's best for Gerard. It's just, we need now Nemeth and Lindholm in the lineup every night for some inexplicable reason. And everyone sees their ice time go down. And then this That's, is why I, we I, were all so annoyed when they claimed Nemeth in the first place. Because we knew that down the line that, that it was going to become a roster problem. Exactly. And it's it's felt three levels deep because you have Bigra and Miranov in the AHL now who did not start there, which has pushed Milosh to the ECHL where he doesn't belong. And it, it's like depth is great. And when guys go down, we'll be happy to see them called up. But you can't just have players pretty much not even have somewhere to go while you basically wait for an injury to happen. So it's like this getting back to the EJ suspension. Now it almost forces. It's not like it's not a good thing that EJ can't play. He's the horse and they need him. But it's good in the sense it forces them to say, what are you going to do with the defense if you can't just lean on him and and have it set up this way? Like you're going to have to play Gerard with somebody else. And who's that going to be? And what are you going to do with the other guys? Yeah, I think it does. Um, I, I think it's a good point because I think EJ's been, you know, besides being fantastic for the most part, um, it's just too easy to play him a little bit more than he, he probably should play on a, a nightly basis. You know, I, I think that he'd probably be a little bit more effective if he was only playing maybe 24 or 25 minutes a night rather than 26 or 27. <clears throat> and that sounds subtle, but, it, it, you know, that's a lot of shifts. I completely uh, agree. Yeah, and it's just now they're going to, you know, they're sort of going to have to learn about life without EJ, but knowing he's going to come back in two games, it's not like last year where he's going to come back in 150 games. Right, um, like, we don't want EJ to burn out or blow out his knee, which is the concern when you're playing him as much as humanly possible for no real reason. Well, my my concern with playing EJ too much is it... it, it it takes away from what he can bring on a nightly basis. Like if you know, I think if you play him twenty-four or twenty-five minutes, he's going to score more, he's going to defend better, and he's you know he's just going to be overall more effective. Right. But like if, if you have to play him like twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty minutes, it's just you know that's just asking a lot of a guy that's never played that much before. And it is diminishing returns. Like, right, what are you getting out of EJ in those those last five five minutes of ice time between, like, 25 and 30? Are you getting the best version of him? Because I feel like sometimes then he starts to try to do too much. And I think he was starting to before he had his little incident yesterday. And, yeah, they need to find the kind of the sweet spot for him where he's the most effective and you're not burning him out. And we'll see. I mean, if he goes down with an injury or something, it's going to come up as the question of, 
and it obviously depends on what the injury is, but it's going to be, well, did you play him too much for no reason, and what are you really getting out of it? Yeah, I mean, I, and I think you can make another case for, for Barry being the same way. Like, <clears throat> you know, I think Barry needs to play 25 minutes. I think Barry's very effective when you play him somewhere between, you know, like 19 and 21 minutes. You know, if you play him more than that, you're asking a lot of them <clears throat> sort of outside his purview. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the big problem that we have on defense right now is, is sort of overusing those guys and <clears throat> sort of trying to make up with that, make up for that by playing seven guys when you really should be just sort of concentrating on making a, a few guys a lot better. And I think they've done that with Zadorov, where he's kind of in the conversation with those two now. But now they need to find sort of a fourth guy and then set the fifth and sixth roles and make sure the seventh guy doesn't dress. It'll help when the coaching staff to ha- is you know not in a position where they're thinking, well, I cannot possibly ice this roster with Yak on it. Or I can't possibly ice this roster with Gabriel Bork on it. I mean, yeah. that's that has to get get solved before we can really appropriately judge the twelve seven thing or the eleven uh, seven thing. Yeah. So um, we are over an hour into this show, and we have not yet done stars and scratches. So let's. These are going to be easy. <laughs> let's, let's get these out of the way. <laughs> Number one star goes to uh, McKinnon or Orlando Scott. The other one gets the That's, number two star. I'll yeah, say I, McKinnon. I think he's been more consistent over the week. Yeah. I mean, Landy, Landy had the better night, but Mac's been better all week. Okay. And we give this, the number two to Gabe Landeskog, and that gives us one star to award to a wild card. And not that I'm tooling on Landy, but he had gone scoreless for three games before last night, so... Um, and, and, you know, the, the game before that was the one where he got clocked in the back at the beginning of the game too. So, <clears throat> um, I think you mean legally checked into the board, sir. That's right. There was no penalty on that. <laughs> Non-suspendable <laughs> hit. Non-suspendable hit. Um, but yeah, I think as, if you're, if you're looking at weeks, it's, it's max all the way. And, and Mandy and, and Landy just had a, a wonderful night. I'm going to give my star and give a shout out to Barbario. I think he deserves it this week. And he's been given a rough ride on this show with, with scratches. And, you know, even, even if I don't necessarily want to see him in the lineup every night, I think maybe the 7D has benefited him. He looks better when he plays less. I think he's... He's done more of the good things that he can offensively, limited some of the the mistakes that he makes, and he scored a nice goal in whatever game it is that I can't remember. Um, was it the Pittsburgh game? No. I think yeah, it was I the game was. they won. Was it? I have it all written down. Yeah, it was Pittsburgh, yeah. And that was a big goal in that game. Yeah, it should have been a one to nothing win pretty much. So, So, yeah, that was a big goal in that game, and I think... I think he's played solid for the most part and deserves some credit. Yeah, I, I think a big thing for Barbario is that his his time on ice has gone down pretty consistently since he was scratched. 
He was scratched. They brought him back, played him a little too much. But they've kind of stepped it down a little bit, a little bit. And I think they found a sweet spot now. <clears throat> and he's kind of in sort of like maybe the fifth or fourth um, TOI role. And it's it's perfect for him. He's played a bunch with Gerard too. And when Gerard's not playing with EJ, he plays a lot with, with Barbario. And I think they actually, they, they, they've got a little bit of chemistry going. Honorable mention to Nikita Zadorov, who continues. Definitely, to yeah. Quite fine lately. He... And he scored a goal last night, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> yeah, he's been racking up points, and he's been shooting quite a bit. Does anyone yeah. get goals taken away from them at a higher rate than Nikita Zadorov? I, I challenge, I challenge anybody to it has to, to, and show your work. But who? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. It's got to be at least four at this point. Yeah, he's had taken away. At least he's still got a point if it stands on that McKinnon goal. He's been yeah. screwed out of points. I think there was a point he was screwed out of, and I don't know if it was changed, but it was on that Soderberg empty net goal that it's yeah. like the the like Como for some reason they saw Como as Soderberg and gave Como a primary assist when it was Soderberg like the whole time. I think it was a fourteen sixteen jersey issue. And yeah, right. Well, I mean, <laughs> or the fourteen thirty four issue. I it's because they shoved him in there as the primary. If they yeah. thought he was Zadorov, then it then it. I'm just saying, like the way it was put in that Como was put in as the primary made them think that he made the pass to Soderberg when it was Soderberg carrying the puck the whole time. But anyway, I mean, I'll have to go back and see if they change that. But usually in the NHL, they're not that bad. Where yeah. they just completely invent a player into a play that wasn't there. <laughs> I, wasn't I expect, even on the ice. <laughs> I expect that in juniors. And people that don't realize those box scores are not correct. Some, sometimes it sometimes it happens in the NHL too. I would I would uh, implore you to ask Micah McCurdy about the tribulations of the NHL score sheet. <laughs> So, so Zadorov was screwed out of a point there too. So, no, I I can't imagine there's somebody that's been screwed out of more points than him, especially with his point total. It probably should be like double what it is now, and that that is pretty sad. And it's, that's going to cost him money at the end of the day. So, um, on the on the dark side, who are we looking to scratch this time? I think Tyson Berry needs to get with it. And and I know we've said that a couple times already. And and he does seem to find his way into points. He was good in the comeback last night. Three but assists. He's, he, but he's been poor consistently. And I think... On pace for 65 points. I know. I, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Points just seem to find him. And that's legitimate. I mean, he, he yeah. does create points. It's just, I think the more you watch him, I think the more you see him on a nightly basis, I, I think it just, he drives you crazy in some of the things he does. He makes so many mistakes where if some of the other guys made mistakes like that, if Zadorov and Gerard made the kind of mistakes that he makes all the time, they would never see the ice, but... Just... I, I I thought it was crazy. I, I, I you know, I, I didn't even realize he had three assists till the end of the game. 
um, sort of like Duncan today. Duncan had two assists, and I didn't even know he had one by the end of the game. But and and some of them were from the power play working. Yeah, um, two two of them were. Yeah, two of them he, were power play assists. But you which know, he deserves it, credit for. Yeah, but it's like I you know I looked it up and I, I you know I did the math and I was like this dude's still on a pace for a sixty five point season. And you're just like. It just doesn't seem like that when you watch games every night. No, it doesn't. Well, you know? and, it, and it finally worked. <laughs> him, him finally shooting from the point worked. And it will eventually. He shoots enough from there. It does eventually work. Yeah, imagine just... when he starts shooting from the circles like what he's good at. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Why would he want to use a player how, he, how he's best used? I yeah. Mean, right, his shot is so much better when he gets closer in. Right, exactly. It's just like... You know, it's just so hard to reconcile with Barry. And, and I know some of it is you have to accept that's who he is. But even saying that, he hasn't had a good couple of weeks. If you take no. the third period out of last night, he's pretty, been pretty poor. Over no, the I last thought that too, weeks. but I look, he's actually been picking up <laughs> points pretty regularly. <laughs> Every time I try to make a case that he's not being very productive, he. he he really is. You know, I don't know how he does it. And maybe you ought to dig into that on on the site and like go see if it's primary points or what the deal is. Who else do we have on the scratch list today? You know, I me. I I don't want to say it, but Miko. I I think it's it's fair at this point. Yeah. Maybe even though he's second in the team in scoring. Again, it's another thing where he's second on the team in scoring. I know some people have maybe suggested a little bit of a passenger type thing that's happening. I disagree. I think he creates and is good enough to get those points on his own. I don't think he's just getting secondaries on McKinnon assists, racking racking those up. I think what he does is is more from what his own doing. So I wouldn't mind seeing him split up from McKinnon just to even kind of prove that and to kind of maybe make him take a little bit more of a maybe a an, a visible lead role but i think probably at this point he hasn't had his greatest week or two weeks he's weak weaker on the boards than he should be he kills a lot of breakouts um he's probably hasn't been at his best this week yeah it's just his game isn't very assertive right now and you know, it's like you and I watched him in San Antonio the year he was down there, and you know, uh, yeah, it's the AHL; it's a lot different. But you know, he he was he dominated games. He was breaking pucks out. He was taking pucks in. He was shooting from everywhere, and that's just stuff that we're not seeing anymore. And it's it's stuff that we know that he's very good at. And I just wonder that he he's not able to play his full game on that line. Because you have two guys that really like having the puck in, in Landeskog and, and McKinnon playing with him. And it's just, he's sort of forced into what appears to be a passenger, but it's, it's basically just the, the secondary role. He's, he's kind of the third guy on that line. And I wonder, you know, maybe, maybe you take Landy off that line and that changes, and then you can still sort of have the, the McKinnon-Miko magic. Or maybe you just put Miko on a totally different line for a little while and see what happens. I think I would. I'd try him with Jost and then maybe maybe someone like Wilson or something or you know, someone that maybe can make a little bit of space for them. But yeah, to kind of give Miko that that lead role 
on a line because I think what Jost does best is he likes to shoot, and I think that would be perfect for someone with Miko who who needs to shoot more himself too. But I really think you know at at the root of it, he's a playmaker, and and I think those two would be good together. Yeah, because I, I just you know I, what what he's doing now isn't he he's at like sixty percent of his capacity, and and you know they're doing okay like that but I, I think they could really use sort of the you know the full angry Finn mode of, of Miko like we saw his his first year as a pro um, and I, I think he can get to that level in the NHL yeah uh, yeah I think off, you know when you have a guy that's as good as McKinnon is playing this year it's just you know there's just not that much puck left for everybody else yeah, I agree. I agree that Miko has more to give. I kind of struggle for a third scratch this week. Because, um, I mean, I as, as much as we would like to look at, you know, goaltending, I mean, we saw both Varley and Bernier have really strong games this week. Um, as much as you'd like to look at, you know, a lot of different things, you can you can find a counter-argument. But uh, maybe, we, maybe we look at the bench again. Maybe we look at what's going on with your development people's playing time you look at what's going on with the who's starting in net decisions yeah it's yeah it's fair you, you can always sure. give a, a scratch to the coaching staff um you know there's just i i, I realize not, that or go ahead they have some goals that are a little bit different than what we'd like to see like yeah we want to you know it's it's a throwaway year we want to see everyone that's young developed and, and getting the time that they need and everything like that. But, you know, I, I see the need for them to win games and I, you know, I, I, I don't have any problem with that. Um, and they have to do what they think is best for, for winning games, but they're just some, some decisions that are a little bit baffling. I'll say, I think it's in general things getting a bit stale and I know that we hate the blender or when things are just completely chaotic and, and the problem is with the 11-7 the is the lack of consistency. And I will give them some credit for being a little bit out of the box in that thinking. But in general, I think things have gotten stale. Like the power play, you yeah. know, take, take, take out the third period last night, and the power play one is still stale. And I think, I still think it's just kind of like the personnel, not that they're all not good individually, just collectively. I think it, they fall into old habits too easy. I think I think they should totally shuffle up the power plays. Um, but other things like like the lineup, I think even having you know all, all those five different guys on different lines, it is stale as a whole. The the offense is that you're only relying on McKinnon to score goals and and things like that. I think yeah, I think that the the ideas they have some, but it's just it's it's few and far between, and then they kind of let everything else start to get stale. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll give them some credit for that because they're you know, uh, as a fan, it doesn't matter that much to me. It's not my job on the line, so you know, I'd rather just make a change because it hurts. Um, but they stick with it until you know, probably past its its date of freshness sometimes, but. You know, you, you got to make some changes once in a while if, if things aren't working. And, you know, obviously depth scoring is something that's really suffered a lot over the past few weeks. And, um, 
they really need to find <clears throat> some way to craft a lineup that works and has four lines that are, you know, viable most of the time. Yeah, and like and, we said, I think it's time to maybe break up those top two lines. Yeah, you know, gets, I mean, it's like you, you've got some time, you've got some practices coming up. This is the time of the year when you really need to set up for the rest of the year. And even if you don't break up those lines, at least try some other things. So if you have to on the fly, um, you've got some guys that, that are sort of ready for it. And at this point, you know you have those lines in your back pocket. Like, you, you can go to that in a third period. Yeah. You can go to that if things aren't going well. I, I think just starting with that and just going with that for a whole game at this point isn't really, isn't generating anything new. Yeah. So um, let's uh, kind of get a couple of the things out of the way here, and then and then we'll look at getting out of here. Um, shout out to Kale McCarr and Connor Timmons, who have both made the roster for uh, for U20s for World Junior for Team Canada. Claps for them. Yeah, that's a that's a big accomplishment for them and for the organization to have two two on Team Canada, and especially two on the blue line. So that's going to be really exciting for us to watch. Who's the last defenseman that Colorado had on on a Team Canada? Was it Barry? It was B-Graw. Was it B-Graw? Okay. I don't remember B-Graw being there. I do remember Barry, though. B-Graw was there his 18-year-old season. He didn't make it his 19-year-old season. Okay. That's I'll it. say that and I'll say that Timmons was probably a surprise, at least how he was sort of more of a lock than everybody thought, uh, even a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, he's had a wonderful season. I know, you know, there are a lot of secondary assists in there and his team never loses. But, um, you know, that, that that's kind of good, especially after, you know, we kind of found out he's a little different than what a scouting report says. And what we saw in camp was a little different than maybe what a scouting report said. Um, you know, he, he's going to be good. And I, I think this is proof that the Team Canada team Canada agrees. And it's interesting with him is because he doesn't have a history with, with Hockey Canada. Like, a lot of these other guys are on U17, 18, you know, they've... They've been through it. They've been on all these teams. And Timmons was kind of like a late bloomer kind of sort. And this was his first, I think, even first camp and first event with them. And the fact that they chose him, it definitely, like, he impressed them. And, and in the Canada-Russia game where he was the player of the game, I think that really gave him momentum. And then he upped his production even after that. So... I wish I could have seen some of the camp games to really see like how he his game is translated to that um, setting, but we will soon enough, and and it'll be exciting to see both guys play. Yeah, and he's you know he's I mean this is this is his draft plus one, which usually you know a lot of the the team Canada is draft plus two. Um, so it's it's you know again it's it's pretty impressive that he made this team so handily. Let's say. Yeah, well, both McCarr and Timmons are 98, so this this yeah. isn't going to be their last go at it, too, since they're the late birthday older players. But, um, but yeah, especially, you know, they, they like to go for the olding returning players as well. And, you know, basically he made it over a lot of the 
the guys that were getting a lot of hype too. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, um, that that tournament starts in about a week. It's uh, day after day Christmas. After, yeah, it, it's always one of my highlights of the year, and so I'm uh, looking forward to, to watching some of that. And where is it this year? Is it back? It's in, in Buffalo. 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 Ooh, they're actually going. They're going to play an outdoor game on uh, a couple days before the, the the Sabers play their outdoor game. So the, the USA cool. versus Canada game will be outdoors, that, which is hokey, but yeah, it's going to be cool. It's kind of cool, but it's also th- those games always kind of take away from the skill factor of what actually happens on the ice because it's, it's always a little bit chunky out there, and yeah, it's just, that's just a little bit too bad. Um, but the atmosphere will be choice. Yeah, I'm just kind of looking at the schedule. Looks like both teams open up on the 26th, Canada against Finland, and then later U.S. against Denmark. Um, and then you'd see Canada take on Slovakia on the 27th, and the U.S. take on Slovakia on the 28th, and then you have that U.S.-Canada game outside on the 29th, which is a Friday. Yeah. Why is it at 3 and, o'clock? Because uh, that's uh, what time it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, <there you> go. <laughs> and, and not that these guys are part of the avalanche, but... Um, Klim Kostin, who plays for the Rampage, will be playing for Russia. And he was the guy taking one pick in front of Timmons. And the Avs might have taken him if he was available. But he's, he's pretty fun to watch. Um, but you know, anyone who watches Rampage games will be familiar with him. <clears throat> and also, just a guy after my own heart, Colton Point, against all odds, became the, the backup goalie for Canada. And he went to my beloved alma mater of Colgate University. And he's the first goalie from the NCAA to play for Canada in 14 years or 15 years. And watch, he'll be better than Ottinger for Dallas. He will be. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, the World Juniors is a good time to scout draft. Don't forget about the draft. And it's a Don't great just... time to laugh at, at Team Canada when they inevitably do something very embarrassing and lose. <laughs> and hopefully it's not Makar or yeah. Team to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gonna, they're going to be my main rooting interest. I, I go for the who the Avs property is, and so obviously I'm all in on Canada. Yeah, I, I want the Avs players to play well, and I want Canada to lose. And I guess, I don't know if these are set in stone, but the pairs were uh, supposed to be Timmons was going to be late. He's going to be with Kyle Clegg. Is that who it is? I thought it was Mete. Timmons. All right, that's Timmons right. Yeah, he's Mete. playing with Victor Mete from the, the Canadiens. And yeah. uh, Makar is with Jake Bean. Yeah. Which we're not, we're not that happy about, but it is what it is. But he should be on the first power play unit. Well, Bean's a returning player, so... Yeah. That that Perry might play more. So we'll we'll see when they actually play. You know they don't. Yeah. They don't quite tell the truth, but. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll have to see how that ends. I mean, you know how the Avs roster announcements are. It's the same for everybody. Um, yeah. So let's let's go ahead and and start looking at wrapping things up here. Um, with with apologies to Tom Mercury on on Twitter, I really like your question a lot about. Um, expansion and the NHL talent level. We're gonna we're gonna get to it on a show when we haven't already been going for well over ninety minutes. Um, 
So <laughs> there'll be no episode next week. We're going to take the holiday weekend off. I think we can plan on releasing a day early the following week, uh, Sunday the 31st. So between now and then, on Monday, the Avs finish up the homestand with a rematch against the Penguins, 7 o'clock Mountain. Then on Thursday, they're off to California for an uh, 8.30 scheduled Mountain start time against the Kings. Gross. Oof. On Saturday, they're in Arizona for a 6 o'clock start against the Not Phoenix Coyotes. Then after three days off for Christmas, they start another homestand. First, completing a home-and-home with the Coyotes at 7 o'clock Mountain on Wednesday. And then on Friday, the same time, against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Both Arizona games will be on altitude to the Ocho. Oh, we have wow. to predict for these five games. We've got Pitt, L.A., Arizona, then Arizona, and Toronto. They better beat Arizona. And they better beat him twice. <laughs> <laughs> but Gotta I do help not, those guys out. I do not like playing them back to back, even though it's split over the holiday. So I'll say three wins out of the five. They seem to have trouble with Toronto. We'll see this year. Um, that LA game is going to be tough, but. You know, we just we just saw them play the Lightning decent. Um, yeah. Usually, God. Usually they're okay in LA if they can go grind them to death. But I know LA's has um, come into the modern age with their game now with the new coach, so it might be even more difficult. Yeah. Um. I don't like the playing Pittsburgh again so soon, but you know, kind of looking at at their standings. I mean, <laughs> they're still Pittsburgh, but they have thirty seven points, which isn't really that mind blowing. They're really not doing all that well this year. Yeah, not to say that I'm looking over them and saying, "Oh yeah, that that'll be a win," but they're not quite. I think at the level of where teams like Tampa and LA and St. Louis and Nashville are. Yeah. So it's not as scary. Yeah. yeah. So, but even saying that I'll say three wins, I'll say at least one over Arizona, please. <laughs> um, okay. I'll say two, I'll say two and then they'll win one of the others. There you go. They can beat Arizona. Um, I think we, I think we lose to Pittsburgh. But it'll be close. Um, I think we beat LA. We take one of the Arizona games and we beat the Leafs. Six points. I am not as optimistic going into this week. I think Colorado have a bunch of games that they look very likely to fall down in. I I, I think (laughs) the game against Pittsburgh is going to hurt a little bit. I think they lose in overtime to LA because the game starts at 730 in California. So, of course, they'll go to overtime, maybe even a shootout. <laughs> Arizona, like like Jackie said, it's very rare that teams sweep a home and home, so that's uh, setting up a ske- setting up a loss. It's not exactly a schedule loss, but it's kind of like a schedule loss. And then, honestly, I'm looking forward to the game against Toronto, not for win loss reasons, but because that could be a real fun game. Yeah, I think teams that want to open it up, you know, I, I think that plays right into the Avs' hands. That's why I'm calling that for for a surprise win. Well, you just saw him put six on Tampa. I mean, that's yeah. a very offensively-minded yeah. team, even though they are also strong defensively. 
Yeah, they the Avs now have a better skill level to match a team like that. <laughs> so and Big Thirty Four never plays anymore, so. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mitch Marner sucks now. Year to That's year. right. Week on the board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and wouldn't that be fantastic to for Toronto to lose to the Avs so we can generate a few more ridiculous headlines about how the Leafs aren't as good as they seem. I, I, I'm just, I can't I'm just looking to MHH for all the headlines on that game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm talking about Myrtle from The Athletic. Even if you don't subscribe, you just got to see the headlines that guy writes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, regardless of whether Austin Matthews is healthy for that game against the, the Maple Leafs, you know you can find out here. Thanks, as always, for tuning in and listening to a show that's gone on a little bit too long. SoundCloud.com slash Burgundy Radio is where you can find us every week, as well as MixCloud.com slash Burgundy Radio. And you can always find the show posted on BurgundyRainbow.com, where you can just subscribe on iTunes and get it automatically in theory. And that's a pretty awesome little deal. Um, or your favorite RSS podcatcher, or, I mean, I don't know, maybe you can just reach out into the air with your fist and catch it and stick it in your ear hole. I don't know. You know, it's the latest abs news and updates from BurgundyRainbow.com, and you can check on uh, check in with us on our Discord, which you can find linked on the homepage, and just chat about uh, the avalanche or about food or about Star Wars or whatever you want. Um, so keep your head up, get the dirty areas, and we will see you probably the Sunday following Christmas. It is So the uh, the fans are obviously in total agreement um, in their reaction to the CJ suspension. Here's uh, here's some responses from all from different people. <laughs> so we have fuck this league. <laughs> we, we have so predictable. <laughs> we have two games is okay. That shit was bad. <laughs> and we have that's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> then there's Tom Hunter who thinks he should have gotten ten plus. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't know who that is. <laughs> I mean, it's a little hard at this point not to feel like 